Digital Marketing Radio, episode 213. What does being data-driven really mean? DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain so hello there, I'm David Bain, and today I'm joined by a man who's appeared in some of digital marketing industry's top publications, including Marketing Insider, Duct Tape Marketing, Convince and Convert, and Digital Marketing Radio. He's an agency senior strategist and oversees the direction and execution of all his clients' integrated digital marketing and data analytics initiatives. Welcome to DMR, Sam Rucklowitz. Hi, David. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, you can find Sam over at vartshavsky.com and I will include the link to that in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. So, Sam, I hear the term data-driven an awful lot nowadays and occasionally I think, is it not just more effective to follow your gut a bit? Um, Is that a wrong feeling to have? I don't think it is because I think, um, from what I've seen, data-driven means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, you know, oftentimes people are following the data and it leads them to really, really bad places. So I think being data driven is not just looking at data, but it's looking at the right data. And part of that really is a, it's a gut instinct. It's understanding not just what the data is telling you, but what your business is, what the model is, integrating feedback from a number of sources. And, you know, that's not just a, a numbers game. It's a personal game. It's a, something intrinsic to you, right? So I think you hear the term data-driven, it's thrown out all the time, but at the end of the day, it's a combination of not just looking at data, looking at the right data and using that right data to come up with the right insights for your business. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people in our industry are struggling with. So I guess the right question is then, how do you know which is the right data to look at? That's kind of a million dollar question. I think if I knew the answer for that for everybody, I'd be a really, really rich person. Um, but I, th- I usually start with your business. Um, you know, every business has different goals. And if you don't start with an end goal in mind, with an outcome in mind, I think you, it's really easy to get lost in the sea of stuff that goes up into the right. It's easy to get lost in metrics that sound cool or look sexy, but in reality, don't neatly or accurately map onto the outcome you're solving for. So for an industry like, for a business like mine, or ours at Warshawski, you know, the outcome that we're looking for is more customers. So I have to end up looking for metrics that map on to that final outcome. So for us, it's things like, how deeply is somebody engaging with our content? How frequently do they return? Do they look at our services page? Do they look at case studies? Because we can see a definite correlation between people with those behavior patterns and people who end up becoming clients. So now if you're an e-commerce website, like I have many clients that do that, the journey is completely different. You know, you might want to look at somebody that is um, submitting favorable reviews because a review we know generates substantial social traffic to your page. You might want to look at something like, um, you know, for them, abandonment rate, how quickly, or profitability per customer. Any one of those things might be a bit more of an accurate predictor. But at the end of the day, if you don't understand what you're trying to solve for and what metrics accurate, accurately reflect that outcome, you end up in a really bad place. 
where are some of the best places to start then? Is it somewhere like Google Analytics for most companies? Or is that not necessarily the first place that you, you would tell someone to look nowadays? So I definitely start with your own data. So Google Analytics is a great place, but also your CRM can be a tremendous resource. You know, Google Trends is a great resource. There's also a one platform that I'm looking at now called Nextra. They're a tremendous resource for understanding your social following. So how do you spell that? I think it's N-E-X-T-R-A. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I follow Mark Cuban on uh, LinkedIn. So every once in a while, he shares some good stuff. And that was a recent one. But um, I usually start with our, for most companies, I'll start with our Google Analytics. And I'll look through and understand, you know, what three different key terms. And I'll steal shamelessly from Avinash Kishuk. You know, we're looking for acquisition, behavior, and outcomes. You know, the first is where is our traffic coming from? And more importantly, where is our qualified traffic coming from? Behavior, what are they doing on site? What are, and more importantly, what are most valuable people doing on site? So the people that have done what we want them to do. And third is outcomes. You know, what is it, what is that final thing that we're solving for? Is it a purchase? Is it a contact form submission? Is it something as simple as writing a review or recommending a product or service to friends? So looking through those three different things and applying filters along the way, we can quickly see, oh, we understand that social is driving a great portion of traffic. How do we quantify that? Like, you know, go right through. We know that of our X number of social visitors, a certain percentage are very qualified based on the behavior patterns we've established as ideal or likely to result in positive outcomes. And then of those people, we know this many convert. The same equation can be done the reverse way. If we understand the outcome that we're solving for, we can quickly, well, relatively quickly, map those on to different filters and analytics. And from there, we can look at a sources report and quickly see, oh, we understand that most of our good traffic is coming from, you know, what's oftentimes a very underappreciated traffic source. Once you understand that, you know, you can really start to make some interesting deductions and come up with some very, very helpful insights that most of the time would be overlooked by a traditional report and most of the time would be dramatically undervalued by most marketers. I, I liked what you were saying about focusing on the outcome. D does that mean that, that possibly more ideally initially you should be focusing on who your customers are and the common traits that your customers go through rather than just focusing on your traffic as a whole? Oh, absolutely. So I think... Um, you know, one of the things that we do here is we start with understanding our target our target audiences. You know, that's very helpful. And it's not just from a demographic perspective, because I firmly believe demographics are dead. Um, but I think it's from a psychographic, from a behavioral and from an, um, an interest standpoint. You know, once you understand somebody's behavior and their interest and their intent and what they want to do, you can really focus on delivering the type of content, the type of options that those individuals want. So, you know, one of the mistakes I see made and one of the things that I, I guess I think we need to really readjust is just as you say, you know, we have a lot of different people coming to our site with a lot of different behaviors and a lot of different desires and a lot of different intents. So how do we give something for everybody such that we're advancing our end goal in each stage of the process, right? Um, one of the things that one of the statistics that's always shocked me is that only about 10% of people that ever come to a website have any, have commercial, are ready to buy, are ready to really make that final conversion outcome. So if all you're ever doing is trying to solve for that, you miss 90% of your traffic. You're not doing something for them. So if we understand who our target audience is, 
and we understand what they want at each stage of that purchase or that decision-making process, and then we deliver content at each of those stages, we can really create a nice little buyer cycle and you know, deliver something that's of value to each person, keeping them coming back, keeping them engaged, and delivering a great user experience in the process. And no one likes the, the buy now, click now button all the time, as much as you know, marketers think it's the greatest thing in the world. And you can improve <laughs> a conversion rate by 1%. In reality, 1% is one out of 100. So for the other you know, 99, you've done something that could be deleterious. Got you. Okay, so we need to be focusing on conversion rates over the lifetime of the customer as, as opposed to just viewing it as a one-time transaction for most businesses. And if we don't get that transaction immediately, then a, a lot of businesses view it as we've lost that customer forever, but that, that shouldn't be the case. I don't think so. I mean, I think that you know people are, people are strange. People are involved in a lot of things. People have more information coming to them than they ever had before. So it's understandable that someone who's just coming to your website for the first time wouldn't be ready to make a final commitment to you. You know, oftentimes people are looking for information. There was a great statistic published by Convince and Convert that said that roughly 60% of the buyer journey is done independently before a brand is ever contacted or before someone ever comes to your website. If you think about that and you think about, all right, so our relationship is being built over this time. So number one, we obviously want to you know, make that final 40% as wonderful as possible for the buyer. But the second part of that thing that I think about is, well, how do we deliver some content for each stage, right? Because someone that the final conversion rate is probably not going to happen for a few visits. I think the average is seven or 10. So how do we make sure that we're making progress towards that goal without ever, you know, committing firmly to doing that? I'm really interested in this 60% before a brand is actually aware that the potential customer exists. Uh, is there any way that a business can be uh, can be data-driven in order to be able to actually find out what that prospect is, during, is doing during that phase? Absolutely. So um, all of the major publishers, you know, Google, Facebook, even Twitter to an extent, have done tremendous, tremendous work in machine learning and in big data analytics and coming up with, you know, you see them in the ad buying interfaces as things like affinity groups, interest groups, uh, behavioral groups. So what that does is it takes, you know, the individual users across tens of millions of different data points and clusters them based on what we think that person is likely to be doing. So for instance, if I'm in an auto buyers cluster, that probably means that I visited a number of different auto buying websites or researched things on Kelly Blue Book. From there, a marketer can infer, oh, this person's been going through you know, that process. They've been doing research. They've been actively looking. What I should probably be doing is giving them an ad of some kind that you know, recognizes they're in the consideration phase or the awareness phase. They know they have something they need and they're doing research. So I should provide a helpful resource for them in that. That's what the savvy marketer does. Well, the data-driven marketer does. A lot of times what you end up with is a uh, buy my car today, please, thank you, ad, which is, you know, quite frankly, it's not aligned with the interest of the person. Obviously, they're not ready to make a purchase decision or they would have just come to your website and bought a car. So does every marketer need to be data-driven or are you only talking to certain types of marketers? There's plenty of room for interpretation of what the data-driven means, but I think as marketing gets more and more online and more and more you know, digital replaces traditional. We're finally seeing the scales finally tip between digital and traditional spend in the favor of the digital, and that's only going to accelerate. Um, 
marketers are going to have to be aware of data. And more importantly than just being aware of it and being able to use it, they're going to need to be able to understand it and process it. You know, increasingly, if you look at some of the big companies, the Fortune 500, we're seeing that the CMO role and the CIO role are all merging together. You know, it's no longer enough to just do marketing. Now you're expected to understand data. We're expected to understand data processing. We're expected to understand data capture. And, you know, use all those different resources, all those different data-centric activities to inform our marketing spend. And then on the flip side of that is the outcomes role, right? Um, you know, before it was enough for a marketer to say, we're increasing our brand awareness, we're increasing brand share, we're increasing perception. Well, now you have the tools to quantify that. And more and more finance executives are expecting marketing to come to the table with more than we've, ex we've improved brand awareness. They want to understand what, what tangible bottom line impacts have you made to our organization? How have your efforts improved um, us by any one of our dozen financial metrics? What is the return on our investment in marketing? And in order to really answer those questions, marketers are going to have to have a better understanding of data. They have to understand finance. You know, they have to increasingly be very complete business people versus just a marketer. So in terms of focus, there are so many different areas, as you've alluded to, in terms of data out there. What are some of the, the wrong areas to focus on? What are some of the bigger mistakes that marketers make to begin with when they're trying to be data driven? Sure. I think the first one is um, what I call a vanity metric. Um, it's an affectionate term. Um, but basically, anything that is a counting metric is more or less a vanity metric. It goes up into the right. Something's always bigger. Impressions. Who cares? What did it do for you? Um, the more interesting metrics to me are things like rate metrics. I think those tell you something more interesting. More interesting than that to me are person-driven metrics. What is our profit per customer? What is our acquisition cost per customer? Um, you know, what is our viral coefficient? How quickly is our company growing electronically or digitally? How are we quantifying these different outcomes. If you, if you focus on, on those vanity metrics, I think you're always going to be behind the eight ball. But if you start thinking about rates and then you start thinking about more person-driven metrics, that's where the magic happens because that's where you can truly see really, really exciting, really, really insightful things that can move the needle for your business. So what are your thoughts on attribution and selecting an attribution model for your business? I love attribution. I think it's uh, one of the most underutilized tools in, in analytics. But um, my first thought is last click is probably the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and I think way too many businesses are using it. And it's, it's really a shame because it undervalues everything that happens before the conversion dramatically. You know, by an attribution model, your display campaign is probably near worthless if it's a last click model. Mm. But that, in reality, that, that doesn't seem to match up with more or less anything that, would, that we would think of, right? You know, you're seeing somebody's ad 10, 15 times, and if it's placed well, and if it's driving those, um, you know, micro conversions. So if my display ad gets you to come to my website and download a white paper, for instance, if on um, the benefits of buying a Toyota, just for funsies, sticking with our car metaphor, Obviously, that's, that's helpful to you and your final goal of selling me a car. But a last-click attribution model with the car purchase as its final, as the final conversion, is going to say that that display ad was worth zero. But that doesn't seem to match up with 
number one, what actually happened on the site, and number two, our intuition that you getting that additional information probably did inform your purchase decision. It probably did help you to become you know, an eventual customer. So I think attribution is something that marketers need to start paying more attention to. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that is always on everybody's back burner, right? Mm. We're always putting out the fire in front of us and, oh, we're like, I got to get to that attribution. I got to think about it. So I think it's something we need to start doing more of. And when you do it, and I mean, I play with 10 or 12 attribution models per client and I just look, spend a couple hours each week looking through them, try different ones against each other and try to understand which one is most accurately reflecting outcomes, which one is closest to not being terrible. And then I look at it and say, all right, what is this telling me? Great. Okay, let's adjust, my, let's adjust our spends based on the recommendation. Let's adjust the media mix and then watch what happens. And if all of a sudden I start to see sales, I'm like, all right, this is good. This is great. You know, we're less deviation. We're actually valuing each channel appropriately. We're dedicating the appropriate amount of resources to each channel. And all of a sudden you start to see you know, not only those end goal conversions ticking up, but you also start to see the, the micro conversions that happened before increasing, you know, indicating that our pipeline, so to speak, is starting to get that, that volume that's necessary to really produce additional bottom of the funnel conversions at a later date. So we're not just building for today, we're building for tomorrow. And if your organization isn't doing that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be in a place of, of hurt in whenever that bottom runs out. So I think it's important to, it's incredibly important to do attribution. Do you think it's a concern that uh, a massive uh, internet company that makes most of its revenue from pay-per-click, from last click, um, also provides very popular analytics software and there's probably a lack of incentive there to be as clear as possible with attribution in mind? I think about that question. So I use Google for sure, but I also use Adobe Analytics and Adobe doesn't have that same incentive dilemma. But I think, you know, Google's incentive at the end of the day is to deliver the best advertising products. So, I mean, the only place they'd really lose is on social attribution. They own display. I mean, they own, their display network is what, 85% of the internet, 25 billion impressions a day and growing. So understanding and highlighting the value of that channel doesn't hurt them. Hmm. They're probably the single, one of the two largest video advertisers online with YouTube, and that's only getting larger. So showing the value of video doesn't hurt them. I mean, the only place where you could, I think you can make a compelling argument that, and they also dominate search and 90% of search is theirs. So the place where Google wants to succeed is in delivering superior customer experiences and making digital marketing work. Because at the end of the day, the more people that are doing digital marketing and understanding the value of it benefits them. And it's a long game for them. And it's not like they're going to go broke anytime soon. Good answer. Well, um, in a moment, we're going to be moving on to the second part of our discussion where I'll be asking Sam about the software that you couldn't live without. But uh, first of all, I would um, like to tell you about digital marketing in 2017, the book, dear listener. So it is 107 digital marketers all in one book, all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year and written by me. So you can check out the reviews and grab your copy over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. But let us segue into the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Sam's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So Sam, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? 
shameless plug for Google. Their analytics software is, uh, without a doubt, I think the best on the market. Um, we also use Adobe Analytics, and I think their products are tremendous as well. Um, other than that, uh, Tableau, I think, has been become very quickly an invaluable resource for helping clients with multiple platforms to synthesize data and present it into a, compreh a comprehensive way that's really intelligible. Um, other than the Ho Hootsuite for social analytics, I think cream of the crop there. And increasingly, um, IBM's Watson. Their Watson API has been, it's gotten so so much better so quickly. It's its rapidly become this great resource for myself and our team here, you know, to be able to use that and understand behaviors online, to be able to understand personalities and um, quite frankly, to crunch massive data sets. It's, Watson is very quickly becoming an, an essential. I liked your recommendation of Tableau there, actually, because I'm a real fan of um, taking APIs together and um, mashing data together and not just having lots of separate platforms that don't really speak to each other. So great recommendation. Good. Let us ask you a slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Uh, let's see. Um, hmm. So I've heard some great things about SEM Rush. We currently use Moz, but I've heard great things about SEM Rush, and they keep trying to convince me to sign up. So I, I do intend to give them a shot. And there's also, um, you know, Nextra. I mentioned them early in the interview. Uh, we've just started um, a trial with them, but I think it's the platform has been tremendous so far. So I'm very excited. Okay, that is funny that you mentioned SEM Rush because I don't think you know. I also am hosting a series of webinars for SEM Rush. I did not know that at all, but uh, I guess I have to try it out now. I'll send you the link to that afterwards, and you can uh, check it out. But uh, that's uh, that, that's always fun. But um, I, I certainly know a lot of people who who use that as well, and that platform's evolved quite significantly over the last couple of years. So it's a, an interesting um, tool to shout out there. But I'll include links to all the recommendations that you, sh you shared, of course, in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Oh, all right. Um, so I think the, the first mistake that I made was uh, not starting with goals in mind. You know, I was just kind of going out there and being like, all right, let's, let's just get this thing set up and going instead of taking a step back and saying, all right, what am I really trying to solve for? What are the steps along the way that I need to solve for? And how do I solve for all that stuff? I think just mm -hmm. jumping headlong into it was obviously great in the short term, but I think I, I definitely sacrificed long-term success and probably wasted more than a few dollars just by not having a perfect plan, not, my not planning, not thinking through the business before I started marketing it. So I think it's uh, yeah. that's the first thing I would, I always advise our new associates to always understand the goals first, map out the final conversion, those micro conversions along the way, now solve for them. Don't just go launching ad campaigns. And where do you get your goals from? Is that simply from what has been a success for you previously? Um, honestly, most of the time it's not. So most businesses, they have a pretty clear understanding of what that final goal is. Actually, most of them have a pretty good idea of what they think it should be. Most of them kind of don't take it exactly the way I would, but I think we're pretty clear. But I think those goals that are along the way are the ones that you uncover just by going through the analytics software, by going through their CRM if they have one, and understanding the behavior patterns, looking for those those trends and those insights, and then saying, all right, how do we map this onto a piece of content? How do we map this onto a goal? Great. Let's assign a value to that goal. Great. Now let's start solving for goals as we go along through the funnel. 
let's not just you know rush headlong into launching stuff. Let's plan, be very clear and very specific about what we think our outcomes need to be at each stage of the conversion funnel, the buyer journey. Great, now go solve. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. 10 really? quick questions, just two rows here. So try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use okay. it wisely. You ready to go? Sure. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Website or app? Both. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Outreach or advertise? Outreach. Email to one or email to many? Email to one. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Social subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Local. Well, you used your both relatively early, but you got to the end without too much of an issue. Yeah. I was quite surprised that you you went for social subscriber over email subscriber, actually. Why was that? Um, so one of the things that I've been noticing is an increase in the amount of conversions and the amount of value each social subscriber is having to some of our clients. You know, that's been trending up for a long time where email subscribers are traditionally, or well, from what our data shows, not staying as long as they used to in the past. You know, part of that might just be the inundation of emails from a lot of different companies. But I think increasingly as social platforms are becoming ubiquitous, Facebook with our audience network, Google Plus, obviously, for that one thing Google didn't do right. But, you know, LinkedIn followers, all of those different um, channels, if you have a follower there, I think it's relatively easy to bring them to your to your website to a conversion. The email subscriber, I think getting somebody onto your platform via email, keeping them there and keeping them engaged is increasingly, increasingly difficult. So I'd rather have somebody on the hub where they spend most of their time and I can reach them as I need to versus somebody that I have to beg, plead and really, really bombard just to get them onto my website for a couple seconds. I find that really interesting because 90% of answers to that question would be email subscriber over social subscriber. But a highly data-driven marketer says social subscribers. So there's got to be something in that. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, we can't always... Uh, I mean, I think email for a long time was the... That was the thing. But now it's... Mm. We spend increasing amount of time on social networks. And the value of those subscribers has been going up for a long time and doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Especially when you start to consider the full funnel and you start to you know, really do some attribution work and some economic value modeling work those social subscribers become increasingly valuable to a business. You haven't got any concerns that they will become more expensive over time to reach because obviously the, the, the obvious example is a Facebook page where you used to be able to get in touch with all of the people that had liked you and now um, you can only reach a small percentage of them organically and the majority of them are pay to play. Do you not think that'll increase in cost over time and that unless you own your own database then you're going to be paying more and more and regretting it in the future? I worry about that. I do. But I think part of... So part of it I think is if as you start to adopt a more data-driven framework and you do solve for each of those different intent levels and you are clustering your followers based on what they want and delivering them what they want, you know, your costs of acquisition, you can keep them low just because most marketers don't do that. 
you know, you're basically capitalizing on other marketers lack of this, which is for now a great situation. Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm becoming a little bit concerned about is, you know, I think the, the gold standard soon is going to become a phone number, not an email address. Those are fungible, but the phone number, because as you know, we're going to a mobile, we are mobile first. Let's be, let's be honest. But I think once we can get onto your phone, that's where the magic happens. That's the true unique person identifier that we've been looking for for a long time. So I think social gets us there faster than an email address does, number one. And number two, as long as social continues this trend of getting us better value and more profit per customer than an email address does, I'll keep sticking on the, on the social bandwagon for a little bit longer. But hey, if it changes, then we, ju- then we adjust. Do you think that engaging with prospect or a customer in a messenger app is just as good as engaging with someone using their phone number or, or do you think the the phone number itself is, is the holy grail so i'm thinking you know the one thing that i really do like about the phone number itself versus just the I and mean, the social profile is helpful for sure especially you know being able to do those are those are great i think the phone number gets you closer to a person especially as you know we see some people have multiple multiple accounts on some of these different platforms Obviously, social networks are trying very hard to weed that out, but they haven't quite succeeded yet. So I think the, the phone number, most people only have one phone number. I mean, if you really want to get creative, you can do it, but that takes like some serious effort. And also, the other thing that has really become clear is that as you get somebody onto somebody's phone number and you can really engage with them on that platform and on that medium, you're really with them at the exact moment that they are ready to make a decision. And increasingly, immediacy you know, being there, being part of the consideration set is incredibly valuable. And when we don't know when that's happening and we're not sure all those different things are going on before, but if we're on the phone and they're searching for pizza near me, hey, I'm, I'm going to get that sale. That's the goal. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days in a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Um, I would probably spend it on quite a few machine learning programs, uh, to be honest with you, maybe a data set or two. What would be an example of a machine learning program? So one of the things that I'm playing with right now and I've really come to like is Amazon, uh, their Amazon machine learning through Amazon Web Services. You can write the supercomputer basically and run machine learning programs to your heart's content, you know, feed it into a bunch of different individuals, a whole data set with outcomes and tell it to go figure out who which prospects are most likely to convert, you know, which prospects are likely to become high buyers. And it spits out incredible amounts of information. You can do it on demand. It's something that's truly um, game changing for marketers because all of a sudden I don't have to sit through 10,000 emails. I can go put this whole thing up in Amazon, upload a machine learning model, and it'll spit out the hundred people most likely to buy my stuff tomorrow. That's incredibly valuable to me. Google has been experimenting with similar, similar things where you can upload customer lists and different messages and it'll tell what goal to go sell for and it'll go solve it. But that allows marketers to, you know, increasingly transition from, you know, managing campaigns to thinking about the creative side, solving for customer experience, and then delving deep into insights to really come up with strategies and ideas that move the needle for the business, not just, you know, tinkering with bids and AdWords. That's something a computer can do far better than anybody can. Well, you've got a great different perspective on things, and I'm sure we could keep the conversation going for, for a long time, but um, we're 
coming up towards the end. I would just got enough time for uh, my number one takeaway. Sam, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener needs to take away and implement in their business? Sure. I think that first thing is um, starting with their goals, coming up with not only your final conversion, that final thing that we really want them to do on our web- on your website, but everything that precedes it and going through analyzing your data and understanding the paths to conversion, what the key markers are that are likely to indicate success, and then assigning values to each of them so that we can solve for them. Because without that, none of these other great technologies really work the way that you want them to. But with, if you understand your business model and you understand the steps that lead to conversion, a world of possibilities are open to you and you can really have a lot of success. That's where I start. Wonderful. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our listeners to find out more about you and what you do? Sure. Um, you can connect with me on Twitter. I don't really tweet that much, but every once in a while I do. Um, I write regularly for Marketing Insider and on Warshawski. Our social media is at the W Agency or on our website, Warshawski.com. Um, we're usually uh, pretty active on our blog and I'm usually writing stuff. So it's a good way to find me. Lovely. Okay. Well, I'll make sure there's links to that in the show notes um, of the podcast episode at digitalmarketingradio.com. So thank you to Sam and thank you to our listener too. If you have an opinion of what Sam shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is, of course, facebook.com slash digitalmarketingradio. You can tweet me at David Bain. And please remember to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios. Thank you again, Sam. Great episode. Perfect. Thank you. It was was fun.